Welcome to Speaking Highly with John Huck. I am your host, John Huck. If you are watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe to the podcast. And if you only listen to the show on the audio platforms, do me a favor and rate and review the show. That really helps us kind of get to the top of these lists and which will eventually gain us more support. With me as always, Indy Fawcett. How are you, Indy? Doing well, doing well. You know, I got to say, like and subscribe is is the name of the game you know it's it's what sets us apart from the rest you know at the beginning of a podcast we need them you know so yeah, it's all yeah, about that's word true, of mouth that's true. i'm i'm bad at that i don't i i'm bad at promoting i'm bad at i'm bad at all of it i'm good at talking i'm running i can run my mouth till the cows come home <laughs> but um everything else is a is a struggle for me our our topic today is the sunset strip we are celebrating the sunset strip and um, Sunset Boulevard runs from downtown Los Angeles, right around Figueroa, all the way to the Pacific Ocean. It's a pretty long stretch of road. Within that road is a one and a half mile strip, and it kind of right in the middle of West Hollywood. It's got Key Club, um, the Rainbow, the Comedy Store is there, um, different bars, clubs, rooms. But back in the 80s, it was the mecca of i'll just say rock and roll but for me i mean like glam rock and 80s rock you know motley crew being the biggest name to kind of come out of the strip at that time um specifically i mean that's the that's the era of the sunset strip we're going to talk about today that's what we're celebrating our guest is um the author of rock and roll high school uh, marissa tellez and she I think what's funny is um, she wrote this book from her, I mean, you can only write from your own perspective technically, but she dug through her old diaries, her old journals, and this book is about the Sunset Strip written from the perspective of a 13, 14-year-old girl who was, at the time, hanging out with these people in bands and and witnessing all this kind of crazy and you know historical shit um but as far like indy this is so funny for me because i know you weren't even born yet um when i was reading these magazines about these bands true it but it doesn't it doesn't uh it doesn't keep me from the 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 allure of it you know i still right right. i you know growing up i was still i was into guns and roses i was into aerosmith you know i was like whether the bands were in the sunset strip or not it was an image you know, and yeah. that 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 little strip of land for comics too, and and huge for musicians. Um, it, it it was a uh, wow. That's where rock stars live. You know, and yeah, that's I mean, and that still went into the '90s and and past. Yeah, I mean, look, Van, Van Halen. Their claim to fame would have been backyard parties in Pasadena, but they did end up playing clubs on the strip when they got bigger. Bands like Cinderella, Rat, Poison, uh, Faster Pussycat, Dokken, like these are all bands I listened to when I was a kid. But I will say Motley yeah. Crue was the band that people, and we talk about this, I talk about this with Marissa, but I think these other bands looked at Motley Crue and like, oh, this can happen. We are working towards something, you know? And from my perspective, 13, 14 years old in the Midwest, in Illinois, reading Circus Magazine, 
the Sunset Strip, what I've re- what I read about the Sunset Strip was literally captions in photos with like Motley Crue and a bunch of strippers at the Seventh Vale. And they're like, <clears throat> so on this there's Motley Crue on the Sunset Strip. You know, that was me reading about the Sunset Strip. It was like they would just put those words next to pictures that I thought were amazing. So I was like, well, the Sunset Strip must be where it all happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Technically, I'm sure if you're Motley Crue, uh, yeah, it did all happen there. And eventually it was fun and decadent. When you move to Los Angeles and you have no money and it's the year 2000, going to the Sunset Strip is a little different. Uh, Had to take the fucking bus. (laughs) Took the number two bus with me and my my buddy from Western and uh, Sunset all the way down to... Uh. To where we could get ride. close, get off the bus, and not be seen getting off the bus. And we would go into these clubs if they didn't have a cover, and we didn't have any money. We, we spent money on the bus. Like, we didn't have any money. I mean, the bus is a dollar. It was like, it's just the the uh, Motley Crue and then what we were doing. You know what I mean? It right. was just like a, a funny kind of, we were trying, but it was really not going to work for us having any fun at that yeah, age with no money. There's the uh, there's the duality of the of the two worlds, right? Where there's yeah. a reality and then the 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 small percentage of of successful few who get to experience that <clears throat> even if they do. You know, it's like a, a lot of it's kind of in the music videos or or in the in the in the in the the air of the music or the attitude of of what they're trying to go after. Uh, it's it's interesting, you know. It was de- it, there was definitely an attitude. You could yeah. tell, like there was like a and 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 when you read Marissa's book, you can you know. And and as I grew up, I understood that the attitude is a lot of times a front. It's like a it's like a look at how great I am, so that everyone can see how. But you know, people are always well. Welcome to the jungle, baby. You know, like that. <laughs> Dude. That's it's the epitome. It's the epitome of it. You know, it's <clears throat> it's 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 so. Like I'm sure that's like that's why that song was used for Grand Theft Auto, like the theme song for Grand Theft Auto, because it's just like, do whatever you want, it's fun, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean that adrenaline, was adrenaline, you know. And back in the day, I'm like that was the that was literally do whatever you want, yeah. it's fun, it's like, yeah, you know, and and at that at like 1989, I mean when 90, I would say whatever year Nevermind came out, Nirvana, I mean it, it was like. It was really an overnight shift of we're looking at this. This is the kind of thing that everyone likes to fuck off. We're over here now, and this is what we're all listening it was to. 91. It was, yeah. yeah, okay. So, and Marissa talks about this. We get into the shame, which I I loved these bands growing up, yeah. and then it was like, and then I did. I when I heard Nirvana, I was blown away. I thought Nirvana was amazing. I thought Pearl Jam was amazing. I was really into that music, and then it became like. Okay, yeah, I can't really mention. I shouldn't really mention. Look what the cat dragged in by Poison. I shouldn't really <laughs> go around singing White Snake tunes because that's not cool anymore. That's not well, the, hip. The and tone shifted, right? The tone shifted, yeah. and and when you're young, you're afraid to just be who you are, which is such a tragedy. Right. Because like you know, I'm older now. I'll fucking put on Poison as soon as we get off this thing. I'll listen to whatever. I listen to whatever I want to listen to because that's what I like. And that's how we should all be. And and no one else's opinion should fucking matter. But when you're younger, it does. And you don't want people to know. So I was a closeted glam rock fan for a long time and always loved metal, but no one's going to really make fun of you if you have a Slayer. Like, oh, you like Slayer? It's not like, it's like, oh, okay, well, that's a little unsettling. But it was never like you could get mocked for liking these other bands, you know? 
sorry, coughing. And um, yeah, so, but it was like a 10 year period when you were being, you would sort of be mocked for these bands. And like Marissa says, that was right as they started to make a comeback. And it was with metal church, metal school. They started as a joke. They were like a comment. It was like, oh, look, we can go see a band do covers of music we used to listen to when we were in middle school. Isn't this funny? Right. That's how it started. Yeah. I'm telling you. And I, when I went, I only went to see, uh, I went to see metal school once. And then when they became Steel Panther, I went and saw them once. And it helped to slowly bring back the, isn't this funny to, dude, this guy, they do a real good cover of these songs that I like. And like, they ended up, I mean, we didn't talk about this with Marissa, but Steel Panther ended up being booked to open for Motley Crue. So that's how good they got. Now the problem became when everyone's like, okay, yeah, we don't care who the opening act is. I think it was Tommy Lee who was like, you want to employ a band who got famous by making fun of us. Joke's on us, I guess, you know? Because Steel Panther, again, they started out as a joke. They were like, we, but the musicianship you have to have to play those tunes, they are talented. And the dude has a, a pipes, man. That dude who sings, he can do Van Halen, he can do whatever, man. He's good. It's the Weird Al effect. Yeah. Maybe. Kind of. I right. mean, or it's like, but they it's weren't like, really spoofing it. it. Seen, they were just covering it. It could be seen by some as an insult, but like. Oh, uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But, but not to others, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and, and to their credit, I believe they were doing it as a tribute. You know what I mean? Not as like a, <laughs> I mean, they did, they played into all the tropes that was like spinal tappy in the sense that they would have that little comical, you know, all the it's little been, bitty yeah. shit they could put in there, but they were, they weren't, they weren't terrible. I don't want to get off too much on Steel Panther. I don't know why the fuck I keep talking about them. But anyway, Sunset Strip back then no, was like a, it's, a, a it's illustrious. You know, it's and also like I played in bands and you know late later part of middle school and high school and and played around the San Diego area and, and like punk and also and like a lot of that that attitude from the Sunset Strip played a part I'm sure in a lot of other people making their own bands wherever they are, you know, not yeah. even necessarily in America, you know, it's like it's yeah. like it's it's shoot for the moon, you know, and like and have fun doing it, and if you have a unique spin and a good sound. Hopefully, there's you know, a possibility. There's, there's, there's a po you it. have a chance. Yeah. You have a chance, and and I think, like I said, you see Motley Crue do it, and you're like, oh, maybe we can do right. it. Right, exactly. Yeah. And then Marissa's book, like when when Steel Panther started to get big again, <clears throat> or <clears throat> not again, when they started to kind of rise in popularity, is when she started to kind of collect her memoirs and like her diary and journals, and starts to say, hey, maybe there's something here. And she gets into it, and we talk about it more. But <clears throat> it's just a fun read. It's a really fun book written, like, and again. I, me and Marissa are probably like the same age. So her perspective is the female perspective of someone who was there. It's like, it's yeah. a very, it's just, it's very entertaining. And there's, a, and it does feel high schooly because she's writing it from a place of high school. Right. The, the finality of friendships and enemies and that kind of like the drama of everything. It's, it's all in there, but it's an entertaining read that focuses on her love of this music and the area of that is the Sunset Strip, really. So, I guess enjoy my talk with Marissa Tellez. My guest today, um, author of Rock and Roll High School. I actually have a hard copy. Very rare these days. Um, and the follow-up book, um, Walk, sorry, Walking Contradiction, Crackpot Chronicles, Marissa Tellez. How are you? I'm good. How are you? It's been a long time. It has been a long time. Um, 
but it's really good to see you. Thank you so much for taking the time to do the show. I like to sometimes if if I know the guests, I like to give the viewer listener an idea of where we met. We met on the show Punked in about probably 2003ish, right? Yeah, 2003, that's crazy. So it's been a long time. Now, what I didn't realize in looking up, because I've only read the first book, and first let me just say, I'm sorry it took me so long to read your first book. I know you gave it to me um, years ago, and I think right when it came out, which yeah, would be- Yeah, it came out in 2012. It's been almost 10 years, it's crazy. I can't so, even believe it's been that long. So that's the that was the first edition came out in 2012. I think I got a copy of it pretty soon thereafter within the first couple of years it was out and then you know I, I don't know if it was it was 2019 I think when I was like you know I, I have this book I keep seeing it I'm like I'm just gonna read it and as soon as I started reading it it's it's a it's a quick read it's a fun read and it's just from my viewpoint you know I'm a grown we're, we're from the same time I think is a safe yeah. way to say this and um just the idea like seeing it through like the eyes of someone who wasn't me at that time but was was you know a girl a, a young girl you were 13 14 when this book takes place and you were doing things that were like as a 13 year old boy i was reading about in ripped magazine like yeah sunset strip that kind of stuff and you kind of like I don't know. I just it's 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 fascinating to me, and I like the idea of because at first I was like, oh, I'm just like I feel like I'm reading her diary, but then that's part of it. You get into the the high school mentality of it, the the young kid mentality of the whole thing, and similar things that kids in the Midwest thought you are also thinking, but you have access to this world that is uh, like legendary, myth mythological, if you will, like Sunset Strip, like it existed, but we didn't really think of it as a place we could get to ever. It was just like a thing we would see on in magazines or on a, a TV screen at some point, you know? Um, I don't know. That's not a question. I just want to say I, I really enjoyed reading the book, I guess. I like the perspective. I, I know I'm, like I said, I'm not, um, I wasn't you, I wasn't a high school girl ever. So it's like the relationship of it all, but it's, it's. I loved it, I loved it. And I guess first up, how did you, you must've been writing your whole life. Yeah, I though the, well, the both books, I mean, especially the first one, those are pulled from my journals. Like I started keeping daily journals. Oh gosh, I think it goes back to like 1985. I think I was like 12, 11, 12. Like I was just kind of doing it as a way to imitate my mom. Like I would, would see her like just kind of writing daily journals. I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So like, you know, but like a little diary and it's like, woke up, went to school, ate lunch. And then as soon as I started going to Hollywood and getting into Motley Crue, it was like, ah, just like pages and pages of just like venting and just you know, teenage, everything is like the end of the world when you're a teenage girl. So yes, like, it became yes. like this place where I could vent and I would write everything, like every little detail. This person walked in and they were wearing this and they smelled like this. And then they fell down and they were smoking these kind of cigarettes. Like it was just so detailed. Like there's so much shit that I forgot, like in, in writing the first book, like, you know, going through the journal and I'm like, okay, let me kind of get an idea of like, what stuff I want to include. And then I'm reading it. I'm like, 
I completely forgot about that person. I completely forgot I even went to that club. Like I would have, if somebody would have asked me, oh, you've been to whatever, I would have said, no, I don't think I ever went there. And then here it is in my journal, de like detailed, like the bathroom, everything, the people. And I'm like, oh my God, I totally remember now. I completely forgot about that. That's so crazy. But at the same time, like, it was a little exhausting because I am reading myself as a 14 and 15 year old girl and <laughs> yeah. it, it's run on sentence. It's like a sure. of, she said, he said, Oh my God, this and this. And then there's a period at the beginning of the page and I'm reading it back. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm just exhausted from like reading myself talk <laughs> in my journal. But that is, but I captured myself as a teenage girl. That's, you know, what I was, you yap a lot, everything's the end of the world. It takes you an hour to describe what happened in 30 seconds because you're writing every single thing out. But it was kind of cool that my journal captured that. So that's what I wanted to get a little bit of in the book, but not do it too teeny bopper. But, I, you know, it, sure. it's a hard balance because, you know, I've, I've gotten criticism where, you know, people read it and they're like, this isn't a groupie book. This is just all about like teeny bopper stuff. I'm like, well, yeah, because I was 14 and that's what was happening in my life, you know, and, and with Walking Contradiction, obviously I'm in my 20s and 30s and, you know, more adult things are happening. So, yeah, you know, rock and roll high school, I'm 14. I'm not going to be writing about stocks and, and investing and, you know, <laughs> portfolios or whatever. You know, these were the problems of a 14 year old girl. You know. And and because of what you did with this writing every day and, and detailing everything, I mean, you were able to recall and remember and write down things that happened that most human beings like and I know like when I think about myself, sure, I've you know, uh, maybe my brain was a little bit pickled back in the day and maybe that's why I don't remember things or whatever. But like from that era of your life, it's hard Like you the older you get, the more distant that stuff becomes. You kind of forget about it. And like you said, you forget people's names and faces and and by able to be being able to go back through your notes like that and through your diary. I'm sure one, it was painfully um, not embarrassing, but like you just I mean, when I think about like poetry I wrote in high school or, you know, your emotions and like I like what you said about it. Everything is the end of the world. Every every relationship that ends is a final. There's never this person likes that person. Well, then that person is fucking dead to me. Like that kind of stuff is very high school and very like we talked about it with like my so-called life and the writing of that. Like everything is just so final. You know, there's no bouncing back from anything. And yet all you do is bounce back as a kid. You know what I mean? It's really funny. Um, I guess how, when, so you, you, you've written everything down. I, first of all, I like that you imitated your mom. I didn't, I don't know that anybody I've ever heard have parents that like kind of did that journaling, that daily kind of thing. Um, but what, what was the incentive eventually to kind of go back through all that stuff? Was it, was it just you thinking, you know, uh, about your life and that it would make a good book or was this did somebody kind of nudge you into it or because this is now you're then putting your thoughts your journals your feelings from that time period on paper and people are going to be able to see it you know yeah um it was kind of a little bit of, of two different things like as it was happening I kind of just thought like I'm like I don't think that this is normal <laughs> this whole sunset strip thing it just seems a good. little yeah. crazy and you know, maybe someday somebody might want to read about it. So I'm just going to, you know, do what I normally do of just 
you know, writing in my journal, everything that happens, but, you know, maybe someday if there's, you know, some interest in it after all the shame of grunge came out, because once grunge came out, it was like, if you like, you know, Wally Crew or Poison or it was like for 10 years, it was like 10 years of shame, pretty much not until I feel like, you know, Steel Panther, when they started doing the Viper Room, I think they were called, they were called something else. Metal Church. Yeah, or... Yeah, metal, metal school, metal school, metal school, metal school. That's right. Yeah. When they were just doing small shows at the Viper Room, I feel like that sort of really kind of bring back the love of that music. And then it totally. just got bigger, like they went from the Viper Room and then I think they started playing at the Whiskey and then they, they got even bigger and then they moved to the Key Club. And then now like they play festivals. Like, And I think it was it was about that time, like kind of like the sort of mid 2000s where that music started to be somewhat acceptable again. You weren't so shamed for liking it. And then I noticed like, you know, people are starting to do reunion shows and, and, and it just became more of a popular thing. And I thought, well, you know, maybe now's the time that I can put, you know, something together. Let me just sort of play around with it for fun. And if I keep rolling with this, then maybe it'll turn to a book. So it kind of just started as like a productive thing for me to work on at the time okay. and then it just kept going and going and then I'm like okay well I almost have a book done so should I try and get an agent should I just self-publish and then I just thought you know I I'm just gonna self-publish because it's easier I keep control of everything and I mean I'm an unknown like I just didn't want to deal with the hassle of trying to find an agent and a publisher and all the bullshit when I'm able to you know have my book print oh that's an important thing I should bring up so hard copies of my book, uh, my book, I think after June of this year, I, I'll have to find a different printer because Amazon, I guess, is changing their policy for what I have now is a print on demand. So basically, I have no inventory. So like if you go to Amazon, you say, hey, I want five copies of Rock and Roll High School. Amazon prints five copies. They ship them to you and I don't touch anything. They just... They gave me the money and then that's it. But yeah. I guess they are getting rid of that department. So now everything uh. is going to be like, you can get it on Kindle, ebook, on Amazon, but the physical copies, I believe after June of this year will be no more. So I will, I think I'm just going to order like kind of a stack for myself to keep at home and then maybe look for a printer at some point. But like, it's, you know, it's not like uh, the book is flying off the shelves right now. So right. you know, it kind of sucks like at that time, you know, but again, like, Amazon offered this, you know, just a really easy setup to, you know, upload your book, upload your covers to make revisions on it. And it just seemed like the easiest and, you know, the perfect solution for me. So I said, yeah, let me just self-publish this thing and put it out, you know. So this book is self-published? I didn't even know that that's how you did it, I don't think. Um well, maybe I did, but I forgot. What? I mean, cuz first of all, I've sort of looked into trying to see how easy or complicated it would be to get a lit like I'm an agent or whatever, it's it's hard. You have already have, it's like with anything in, in the entertainment industry, it always helps if you've already written six books that sold really well. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah, I could get cast in just about anything if I've already been cast on everything. It's it's one of those things like they don't want to give anybody a new shot, but they'll keep using the same people over and over. And, and I feel like the same way. So self-publishing, one, I like that. It's You do, you you take control of everything. It's It's on, you know, you get the money, you're the one in charge of, you know, getting rid of the book or selling the book, I should say. Um, what are, what was, what were the major downfalls of that? Was it just that you had to put in all the work or is that, 
was there any cons to self-publishing or would you recommend it for any um, author that's trying to write a book now? I mean, I, I mean, I definitely, Amazon takes a cut of the book. I, for, I even forgot what the percentage is. Like, is it like a 60, 40? I don't think it's that much, okay. but I mean, having a bigger cut of my book is always great, but for the fact that I don't have to do any labor for it, like they literally, Amazon does everything. They print it, they ship it, they, you know, everything is flawless, you know? So for that, you know, it, it's kind of worth it, I guess, to pay that extra, you know, to, to take that cut. But it was actually really easy because I just, I knew I wanted a good cover. So I found somebody to design the cover for me. He does, um, I even forgot what his name. It's been 10, almost 10 years. Yeah. Um, he did a lot of like wrestling flyers, like band flyer stuff. And he did some stuff for friends of mine. I'm like, I really love the, like what he did. I like his look and his style. So I just said, you know, have you ever designed a book cover before? And he's like, no, just flyers, but you know, I'll give it a shot. Just give me the dimensions of your book, you know, and I'll, I'll figure it out and give me an idea of what you want. So I said, okay, kind of told him a little bit and he sort of put his creative spin on it. And I love it. Like what he did with both covers, like he did both. Yeah. He did both covers. So Casey, Casey Quintal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that so, because it is a great cover. Um, it's like a, it's like the whiskey. I mean, it's, it's good. I did. Is this the first, when he came to you with the first kind of draft of what he did, was that, were you like, Oh my God, that's it. Or were you like, Hey, can you, yeah, that's happened to me a couple of times where you, you yeah. s describe what you want. And the artist is like, so it, whatever the talent they have, it's like, yeah, here it is. And you're like, Oh my God, that's exactly what I wanted. How did you do that? Like, that's crazy. Yeah, because he's like, just throw me some ideas of what you want. And so I said, I want this with this and this and this. And he's like, okay, you have a lot going on. He's like, so I'm going to take like this one or two ideas and we can focus on that. And that's exactly what he did. He just kind of took my chaos, reined it in and just made it look so great. And that's one thing that I knew I wanted to invest in because, you know, I am an unknown, you know, so somebody's going to see my name on a book cover, like who cares? But if it's a great cover then maybe, you know, it might pique somebody's interest. And so that's probably where I put the most money, like dumping it into a good cover, like finding a good artist. Cause that's at first I thought I'm like, Oh, I'll just do like a flat cover, you know, maybe a flat color. And then just like the title of the book. I'm like, this is, this is not fun at all. This is boring. I right. want something really cool. And when he showed me like the whiskey, I'm like, can you just like fudge it enough so that, you know, it does look like the whiskey, but maybe but you don't have to pay the whiskey to put it on the book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, can you just kind of put a little spin on it? So it's very clear of what it is, but I think it's sort of, you know, fudged enough to where, you know, I'm, yeah. not, I'm on the whiskey's radar or anything, but so, right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You I, I think you just never know about those things. That is very true. And you, you'd hate to get, uh, to a certain point with something and have everyone go, nah, you can't do this because now you're being sued or it's a you yeah. know, cease and desist or whatever. You kind of already answered my question because you had the forethought to understand that what you were seeing on the strip when you were there wasn't normal in this in like everyday America life. So you kind of started taking taking kind of note of that. A lot of people grow up in areas that are, you know, in hindsight or other people see and they're like man this is fantastic like i know people who grew up in northern california I'm like it's beautiful up here but they're like eh, whatever and they don't care like there's there's a, a sense of like 
I think in the teenagers, especially like as you're coming up, you're like, man, I can't wait to get out of this town. I can't wait to fucking, you know, wherever you're from, you want to go. And I've heard it from people in LA who were like, oh no, I'm, I left, I'm out. You know, it's like, cause they were from here and they didn't like it. It's you, you embrace the area, correct? I mean, you love Los Angeles. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I mean, the, the whole reason, I mean, Motley Crue was a big reason of why I went to the strip. Like I started hearing about, even in fifth grade, like Motley Crue and Ozzy Osbourne, but Motley Crue was like a local band. So I'm like, who are these guys? Like, this is kind of crazy. And then a friend of mine had bought Motley Crue Uncensored. And I'm like, there's no way this is happening in Hollywood right now. Like, this is so like blown out of proportion. People don't <laughs> act like that. This shit's not happening. There's no way. But then as you know, that scene kind of started growing, I'm like, I kind of want to see what's going on out there. Like, what is this? So I finally like, you know, 14, I start going to shows. And I'm like, this is fucking crazy like everyone's crazy everyone's young no one's got any shame like and for me it was just sensory overload like just everywhere i turn like there's some shit going on and it's all and i was so young as well you know everybody around me was 18 19 20 i'm 14 and i'm just like wow this is just fucking crazy this is worse than the uncensored video (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is this is more than i was expecting this is yeah i mean you're 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 going to these like the strip at that time there wasn't like i i I guess hang on i had a whole like uh wait where was i hang on sorry Sensory overload. Sensory overload. Yeah, I just, well, oh, oh, was it, what was it, what was the first, because you, like, I, like you also started hearing Motley Crue, fifth grade, fourth grade. I was drawing it on the notebooks, all that stuff. It was like, but, but for me, it was kind of the music and the edge that the music had and the kind of, I mean, it seems silly to say this now, but the, the darkness that was there a little bit, you know, like when I saw the for my first time I saw a Dio album cover, I was like, what the fuck is this? Like just the weird kind of creepiness of the whole thing. But for you, was it because I know you like loved Nikki Six, like I, that's all over the book. Like he was your yeah. main crush. Was it their look at first or did you hear them and like something registered or were you just like, man, this is a cool look. These guys are awesome. And then the music kind of got to you it was it was both actually the first i mean the first album i heard from molly i didn't even know about that they had a first album like i when i first heard about molly was right when shout of the devil came out so i thought that was their first album and a buddy of mine i remember i was in fifth grade and he had the shout of the devil cassette that he would listen to on his walkman and um bark at the moon those were his two that had come out, I think, in 83 or something like that. So it's always listening to them. I'm like, oh. And so I was listening to Molly. I'm like, oh, this is crazy. Never heard anything like this before. And then looking at them, I'm like, okay, they're kind of scary. Like this is, and it was just, it was kind of like a curious fear sort of like, because at that point, the only music that I listened to was, I mean, my bands of choice that young were like the Go-Go's and Duran Duran. Like I was into all the new wave stuff and my parents you know, influence was, you know, music from the 50s and 60s, but of current music, it would be like Queen and Blondie. But that's still not, you know, a Motley Crue, it's still not in that area. So Motley Crue was sort of like my gateway drug into that whole scene. So it was more of, yeah, it was more of like a scary kind of curiousness of like, you know, what's going on here? Like, I was just kind of nosy, like, I want to see if this is for real or not, you know? And, and that's kind of just what I did. Like, just started going, you know. 
But I mean, at 13, 14 years old, it's hard to just start going. You have to, like, you lived in the Valley. And for anybody who is not aware, uh, public transportation in Los Angeles now is very not that good. So take it back before they, uh, you know, up the bus lines or added the metro or whatever. And now you have no, you can't take the 135 bus to fucking sunset to catch the two. Like that would take you seven days. So you have to, as at like a 14 year old, you have to figure out how you're going to get to the strip from where you are. And in in this, I mean, by the time you had the license, you were sneaking the car, you were doing, you kind of just whatever it took to get there. Like you seemed very determined and it wasn't like. You, you weren't determined to like, I am going to get fucked up. I'm going to party. I'm going to like, like in my head, if I was 13 and 14 and we were going, someone took me to the sensor I would think, oh my God, I guess I have to do cocaine. Like I, I, I wouldn't know any, you know, but you're like, yeah. you were just determined to get there to check it out. How, yeah. how hard was that for you? Trying to figure out different ways all the time to get there. It was, that was pretty, like I could have used an assistant back then because it was really a hustle. Like I had a full-time, full-time job. Yeah, it was a full on job. Like it'd be like, okay, so well, what I would do, it was like a whole thing of like, okay, so I get there, you know, every Friday and Saturday night I'm there, I'm getting the flyers, whatever. Okay, so Sunday morning, I make my calendar, I look at the flyers. Okay, who do I want to see? Okay, I kind of want to see that band. Can I get in for free? No. Who's playing with them? Oh, this band is playing with them. They've got really cheap tickets. Cool. Mark that down. Can I get a ride for that? I asked my sister last week. She probably won't give me a ride this week, but I know that so-and-so might go. So let's put that. It was such, like, I I literally, it, it was, yeah, I could have used an assistant. It was a whole, like, social setup of, like, money, car, um, who's going to, can I get in for free, uh, budget. Like, I was managing my whole social schedule. It was ridiculous. And then, of course, once I got my driver's license, like, forget about it. Yeah. I was taking cars, feeling them, but... Up until that point, it would be my sister, her boyfriend. Um, I had just started dating somebody and they would go to shows. So I would mooch rides with them. You know, if I had another friend that just, you know, in high school that had their license. Hey, you know, you feel like going uh, down to the script next Saturday night, you know, whatever. Yeah, I haven't been, you know, I haven't checked it out. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's do that. Like, I was a fucking hustler. Like, I wasn't missing anything. I would have everything set up. It was so ridiculous but it was just that was my life you know at that time it's just going to shows and that was that was basically the whole point yeah I wasn't out there to you know do drugs I wasn't out there to be a groupie not that there's anything wrong with that I had lots of friends that were groupies god bless them but for me I just wanted to go to shows I wanted to see you know I wanted to go to shows I wanted to hear music it was always about the music and being a fan and a part of that scene. It was never like, hey, I'm gonna go do blow and you know, fuck it and whatever. Like I just I never got into that scene at all. Like, it was always about the music for me. Did you are you do you play an instrument? Are you musical? I took a little bit of guitar, but um both of my guitars are fucked up right now, so I haven't played in a while. But yeah, no, I just, like, it's just like, you know, not like serious guitar playing. No, no, it's just interesting because like a lot of people like you know, if you were drawn to the music, like for me, I played the guitar in fourth grade and it was in sixth, seventh grade that I was like, oh, this is what I like and this is the music I want to play. And, and, you know, trying to learn that kind of thing obviously didn't pan out. And here I am doing a podcast from my living room. But um, I just, I was just curious about that. Were, were your parents music? I mean, you said they listened to music, but they didn't, your dad didn't play the guitar. It wasn't like you had, your sister wasn't. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. There's I mean, no, yeah. 
just it was more just for fun and I didn't even start playing guitar till high school like when I took guitar class I think I was 16 just you know guitar class in high school and it was so much fun like it was kind of it was kind of like a chill class. Like the teacher would be like, okay, let's, here's a G, here's a C, and here's an E minor. Uh, okay, rest of the class is practice time. And then he'd go take off somewhere. And we're like, okay, whatever. But like everybody in my class, like a bunch of the guys that were in my class, they were such great guitar players. Like they could hear something and just be like, oh, do you want to learn? Like one uh, part of our tests every week for guitar class would be, you have to learn like, I think 30 seconds of a song and play it in class like once a week. So he would let us play whatever we wanted. So I'm like, oh, I want to play, teach me Tesla's love song intro. I want to play that, you know? So, you know, my friend would just he'd sit and just listen to it, you know, during class and he'd figure it out and just teach it to me. I'm like, this is fucking crazy. Like these guys are like 16 years, 17 years old and they can just hear shit and just be like, boop, 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 boop. Show me like how to play it. And like, that was kind of, it was really just for fun, you know, just kind of like a, an entertaining kind of thing, but I never really got into like being a musician. You know, I read, uh, I don't know if I read it. I heard that there are some, some people who don't like feel music, meaning like it doesn't move them. Does that, have you heard that? Like that, that it's not, it's like a, it's like in you. Like I, when I hear like songs that I like, you know, my, I get goosebumps. I get, I can like, music will move me to tears. I've, you know, I've, I, I'll laugh. I get excited. I get happy. I get sad. It's like I, music will bring out emotions in me. And I honestly, if there, if it wasn't for music, I don't know that I would still be alive today. Meaning like, I, you know, it's just one of those things that's really kind of pulled me through a lot of shit in my life. I can't, like, have you ever, are you, when you, uh, of your friends who you would go to the strip with, also your age and this the general age, were there people who you were with that were didn't the music wasn't that thing for them? That it was this the social aspect or the fashion or something other than the music? Or was everyone you were with like the this fucking music is awesome, this band is great, we're listening to these tunes, we're going over here, like were they also along for that kind of ride? Those people were mostly the ones that I would meet in Hollywood, like the people that I went to high school, like with, they would go with me to the strip like once in a while, like, oh, maybe once a month or something, but they weren't really into it. They just yeah. kind of thought it was like, whatever. And like, oh, why do you want to go there? It's, you know, we, there's a party down the street. I'm like, I've been to that party down the street for the last two years. I want to do something different. Like, let's just meet different people, like hear different music. So when I started going to the strip, I would meet other girls like me that were 14 and 15 that felt exactly like I did, that loved the bands that I did. So that was how I ended up connecting with them. And it was a thing of like, yes, we love the music. We would be there front row screaming, yelling, like, you know, and I still do that. If it's a band I really like, like get the fuck out of the way. I'm going to the front row. I don't care if I look like a fool, like I'm whatever. Like if I'm having a good time and you know, you want to tap your foot in the corner and that's your thing, that's totally cool. But don't ruin my good time. I'm like, I'm having a good time. I want to see the band that I like, like definitely, definitely affects me. Yeah. yeah. That was a part of it too is just you know I mean some of those bands you know not that any of them were the Beatles or anything but you know at that time I always wonder that too my like, god would I have thought they were that great if I was like 20 and not 14 <laughs> you know like my musical taste change you know but yeah it was always about just the music like being down there for the music and then the scene was sort of became the secondary kind of part of it uh yeah I mean what who what were some of the early, cause I see the rat and I see, you know, um, uh, 
what's Dio? Uh, what's Diabler? What am I looking at down there? D-A, D-I-A behind you to the side? No? No, other side? Oh, this. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is really cool. So this is signed by Brian May. Whoa, the guitarist this for is, Queen, in case yeah. anyone doesn't know. Whoa. Yeah, this is, um, he put together this book. It's a really weird sort of art book that has like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, there's like images in it and you have to put like, what? Like, look through like this thing in here. Like, oh, it's, it's a like little, a tool album. It's a totally, yeah. And then there's like artwork in here. Let's see. Like you use that thing. It, it's kind of cool. Like you use that little piece and then you look at like these different pictures. Oh, it's a uh, 3D, um, 3D art, but with, yeah. but like made, made back in the, like the original 3D art where you had to look yeah. through a two. Yeah. My dad had a bunch of that stuff. <laughs> Holy shit. Where this, did you meet Brian May? I met Brian May at Book Soup, I think like five or six years ago. Like I found out last minute that he was putting out this book. And that was when I was still living in Hollywood. And I'm like, I'm leaving work. I'm getting the fuck out because I need to meet Brian May. And I hope I don't cry when I meet him. <laughs> but I'm going to meet, I don't care if he's selling a fucking Subway sandwich. I don't care if he's selling a book. Brian May is going to be down the street from my house. So I'm going to meet Brian May. And I get there and it's like, there's a decent line, but it's not super long. And I'm like, fuck is wrong with you people is this brian may if they didn't hear the word queen with it they might not know do you know what i mean because oh. there are a lot of people you say brian may they're like huh oh yeah yeah this is cool so this the guy's is a fucking rocket scientist he's a rocket scientist and one of the best guitar players ever <laughs> yeah. but all right well my point was i see the rap poster what were the bands that you i mean besides motley crew and i feel like motley crew showed that it could happen like the bands on the Sunset Strip saw what Motley Crue did. And before Motley Crue, Van Halen. And Van Halen wasn't really a Sunset Strip band. They played Gazaris. That was their big thing. But then by by the what we're talking about in the 80s, like Motley Crue's Shout Out the Devil is, um, it's an iconic album. I mean, it, their first album is good. It's really good. Shout Out the Devil is the best Motley Crue album that there is, in my opinion. Um but once that kind of started blowing up, other bands saw what Motley Crue had accomplished and they were kind of already doing the same things. Like you said, the Flyers. Flyers were huge, all that kind of stuff. Who were the bands that you saw early on that are that that blew up that you're like, yeah, that makes sense? See, I came in on the tail end of that. So I didn't start going till about 87, 88. And by that time, Molly was big, Rat was big, like all of that. Flash. They'd already blown up. That hair metal thing was huge, yeah. So like my, it's funny, like the, I came through like sort of like the end of that, like I think probably the only two bands that sort of went off to do anything. There was a band called Razzle and they were a bunch of like, just they had long hair and they were my age and they're just kind of like skater boys or whatever and just had kind of fun pop rock, you know, music, played Gazaris, then just kind of disappeared and then all of a sudden I see a band called Lit and I'm like, wow, that guy looks like kind of looks like that kid that was singing in Razzle. And I'm like, and then I look, I Google, I'm like, oh, okay. So Razzle became lit. So there you go. Wow. Interesting. And that <laughs> lit is the, the, the car when I was drunk and I fell asleep on the bathroom floor or whatever that song. 
Someone tell me, please tell me why. No, am I wrong? Oh, yeah. That's them. yeah the car that's is them. in the front. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's crazy. Razzle's not the same band that uh, the drummer for Vince Neil, uh, Manslaughter Charges, he like got drunk yeah. and killed the drummer for yeah. Hanoi Rocks. Right. Hanoi Rocks. The guy's name was Razzle. Yeah, Sorry. Right. Okay. My bad. Um, and Okay. And now are there any bands that you saw that were just starting out that fizzled that you felt could have been something bigger meaning and 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 bands fizzle for a million different reasons a lot of it though tends to be egos once things start to work um was there anything you saw like because you did have i don't want to say front row seat to this thing but like there, like you in this book you talk about some of the bands that you went to see that were just either starting out or or getting their their footing and and then there's not like the the point of the book isn't to follow these bands, so I, we don't really know kind of what happened to them after this out of out of your life. But is there anybody you saw that you were like, man, they would have they could have been the next Motley Crew or they could have been something bigger? It was probably the first band that I started to see when I was fourteen. It was a band called Taz, and they were so good, and they were already headlining. They had all this money behind them. They had I forgot who they signed with some big label, they had an album out. Like they just really seemed like they were going to be, you know, on their way to be the next big thing. And then just, just fizzle, you know? And I think a lot of that too, like when I came along is, is because it was sort of in the tail end of that, you know? So a lot of those bands were started, you know, when they were starting to take off, it was kind of at the wrong time, you know, that it was right when that sort of scene was starting to fizzle out and they maybe got sort of, mixed in the shuffle and the record companies are putting their focus in, you know, a different genre of music, you know, and just kind of knowing that the sleaze metal or whatever you want to call it is, is kind of dying out. So sleaze I think that metal. happened to a lot of it. Yeah. Sleaze I mean, there is, there is that. There the bands that came out around that time, like what probably another great band is Tora Tora. Like they were so good, but just when, you know, those bands that came out towards like the late eighties, like, you know, you really had to kind of, you know, maybe change your style slightly, maybe with the time, but then you don't want to do that because then you want to be you. So maybe that doesn't work either. Yeah. It's just bad timing. You it's, know? It, it, yeah, it's, it is bad timing, especially if you're like band is, is, is that type of band about to hit it in like 1989, 1990, like that is not your time. Um, yeah. But there, and that's, it's, it's, it's a shame because, you know, it's hard work being in a band. Like when you look at Los Angeles, even now, like the amount of musicians. And when I say that, I mean, all I'm including people who just want to be rock stars. I'm including serious musicians. Like you drive up and down the strip on a Friday or Saturday night and it's people unloading their gear out of vans and just the sweat and then trying to get people to it. It's hard being a comedian starting out, getting people to go see you at a comedy club, much less getting people to drive to the Sunset Strip, park somewhere crazy, get to fucking pay all that money, pay it to then come see you play for 15 minutes, and then a slew of other bands who could all very well suck or be awesome. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a fucking roll the dice. But um, I don't know what my point was except for Support going out to yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that because it is. It's hard to you know. I mean, I've been around musicians all my life, and I see, you know, 
I mean, some are successful, some, you know, aren't, but most like you really, unless you're on like an arena level, you really have to like hustle, like to, you know, even just make some money, you know, to, I mean, touring, it's been so bad too. I feel like terrible with like, you know, with COVID and all these bands that make their money on these tours. Cause you know, nobody's really making a lot of money selling albums anymore. It's a whole different time now. So, you know, the bread and butter is touring is merchandise. And to have that shut down, like it's terrible. Like I felt so bad for, you know, all these, a lot of my friends that are tour managers that are musicians that are, you know, on the crew, like they just all of a sudden, like the rug is pulled out from you. Like, what do you do? You know? And it's, crazy like a lot of musicians have gone to twitch you know i've been watching i've become a twitch addict in the last like six months like anybody you can imagine from like you know jonathan davis of corn like any but like they're all just sort of like kind of moving to twitch and have these streams and it's wow. you know, that's how making their money yeah it's crazy a lot of like metal most of the, the streams that i watch are like metal and thrash metal but a lot of these guys you know they are not rich. They were not making a ton of money before, you know, and the money they were making was touring. And now this stream, you know, playing whatever drums, singing, guitar, bass, whatever, all these musicians, like this is kind of their, you know, only income for the time being until things pick up again. So that part of support, you know, whereas I would go in person, you pay a ticket, you know, to see the show, you maybe buy a shirt, you know, you support like this, it's sort of turned into a whole different way of supporting. It's like, okay, so now the support is you subscribe to their stream. You maybe like, you know, I don't know if you're familiar, if you're on Twitch or not, or if you're familiar. I'm not, I'm not super familiar with it, but I do. I, I like what you're saying. The concept of if you're going to pay money, if I was going to, if I love a band and I'm going to go pay 20 bucks to see them and I'm going to buy a shirt and I'm going to buy their album and I can't do that now. So they can't make that money and I can't go see them, but now I can see them on Twitch. And if all I have to do is, subscribe to a stream or donate some money to whatever and then I can watch the show. I mean, granted, it's never to me live music is there's nothing comparable. Like I I appreciate all the Zoom stuff. I've watched so many concerts, you know, people putting out music new and old and whatever and re-releasing things. You know, I saw some Bob Marley. I've seen some really cool shit since the pandemic hit that 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 they've kind of tried to help ease the pain with, but it's never going to equal going oh, yeah. to a show, you know, and, and being there. And, and it's one of those things that I feel bad because, you know, there've been times when I've complained about crowds and complained about being got to fucking drive all the way here. And now oh, this fucking opening band sucks. I would <laughs> relish. I will just see a, a full on festival of shitty opening bands. If I, if I can, like, I don't, I want to see so much live music at this point. I'm losing my mind, you know? Um, quick question. This is just for my uh, knowledge. Did you ever see Cinderella live? No, I, okay. I didn't see them until like way after. Like, I think I saw them like 15 years ago or something. But, oh, I, but you, you have seen them. Yeah. Oh, okay. But not, like, but not day, back but then. I, okay. I just, that's one of those bands that like I've always loved. I don't know. I, I've never been able to catch them. Like every time they announce a tour, they cancel the tour because his voice goes like it's all every time. So I, I must have missed them in 2015, but um yeah. that was good when i saw him they i saw them at um where the fuck did i see them in canyon country or someplace like whatever that venue is in oh canyon. yes that um uh, yeah that club up there i know what you're talking about 
forgot what it's called. Like there's like tables and like people are sitting and eating. It's like it's really weird. It looks it, like a dining club. Like yes, like Frank Stallone will play there one night. He plays the sax and does some stuff. So Frank Stallone will be there one night, and then like yeah, like Cinderella would be there on a weekend. Yeah, that's where I saw them, and they were really good. And Tom's voice sounded great. I was like, wow, this is really cool. Like he still sounds good. They sound great. It was a good show. I, I feel like they were like. I always think of this Bobby Dahl quote, the bass player for Poison, when the, he somebody said something about, oh, well, you know, as a musician, he goes, ho, I'm not a musician, I'm a rock star. Like he knew full well, he doesn't. He's not going home and practicing bass scales. He's not. When Poison dried up, he didn't start teaching bass. He's not a lover of fine music or anything like that. He enjoyed partying. He could, you yeah. know, Poison's not you know in the musical sense as complicated as like some of that stuff and the bass in poison is very pretty simple so he's just kind of like living it up and to his credit i mean whatever i don't have any problem with that but i liked his 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 changing the like no no i'm not a musician is like somebody who like eddie van halen is a musician jerry garcia was these people just play and play and play and play until their fucking hands go numb and he's like, nah, I just like partying and getting a blowjob backstage, like, you know, which <laughs> he just owns it. He's like, you know what? Poison is not going to go down as the Beatles. We were a party band. We didn't give a fuck. And that's all we're good. Like, at least he owns it. He's he, not I, trying to be like, oh, I'm the serious musician. Like, he's like, fuck that shit. We were partying. It was all good. Like, but I, I also we I will also say I look what the cat dragged in is a fine album. I like that album. There's a lot of like you can shit on Poison all you want, but that album, I wore it out. I bought that and White Snake when it came out, and I mean, I loved it. I was confused because of the cover. I was like, I don't. The oh, band is women. They sound like men. And my dad were like, Who are these ladies? And I'm like, They're guys. And he's like, What is this? CC Deville on that cover is just like like I I would always stare at this picture. I'm like. Wow, like he really like looks like. I mean, guys wear makeup, okay. Like the other guys, fine, whatever. But you could see, like you know, they were guys. But he just had the cheekbones. I was gonna say his just his cheeks. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was like wow. He's got like the cheekbones of a girl. Like the makeup looks good. Like wow, (laughs) that's like level ten. Like I am right there. That picture. Um. Yeah, but that's just me. I like, I liked, I liked Poison. I like Cinderella. I like, I mean, I'm also like a metal. You, did you ever, are you a metal? Like, do you like Slayer? Do you like Metallica? Do you get any heavier than? Than Poison. <laughs> well, no, but just, I mean, cause there's a, there's a definite, there's a definite like cutoff point to that where you're like, yes, I love, I love glam rock. I love Motley Crue. You know, I love, but then at a certain point, someone's going to go, well, I'm not going to listen to fucking Cannibal Corpse. I'm not going to, you know, it gets a little bit, you know. It's funny because my thrash sort of knowledge has grown since I joined Twitch. It's very weird. Like originally, like my knowledge of thrash was just, you know, kind of like Anthra. I love Anthrax. I love, you know, just kind of like the bigger Metallica, Megadeth, you know, but not super crazy fan, but definitely appreciated them, you know, love them. But for some reason, I don't know why I've fallen into a thrash crowd on Twitch. I don't know how it happened. But like, I, yeah, it's very weird. Like all of a sudden, yeah, I'm like, okay, Cannibal Corpse, Skeleton Witch, like all of these. Wow. Yeah. It's on a whole other level. Like I sort of fell in with like, uh, one of the streams I follow is the drummer of Havoc. So 
never had a fan before, but like, you know, he was a friend of my boyfriend's. So he's like, yeah, watch his stream. I'm like, okay, check it out. Well, this is really cool. Like, I like all the stuff that he's playing. Okay, cool. And then I fell, now I'm watching, um, I've been watching um, Exciter, the Canadian thrash band from the 80s. They're, they weren't super huge in the US, but people know them. They're pretty, most people know who Exciter is. So the guitarist of Exciter, he streams. So he plays everything from, you know, stuff you would hear at the rainbow to, you know, thrash Exciter stuff. So in just watching people, you know, his name's Daniel Decay. So in watching, you know, Daniel Decay and Pete from Havoc, I, my whole sort of thrash world has gotten opened up and, and, you know, my knowledge has expanded a little bit. And I'm like, wow, why did I never like these bands before? Like, they're really good. Like, I like this music and I like this sound. So it was just, I guess I just never... Well, you weren't exposed to it, really. I mean, it yeah. wasn't, because that music wasn't coming off the strip. Like, no. that was like oh, some weird so basement bad. shit. You know what I mean? That wasn't... Oh, they were so snobby on this. These were, this is true too. And I would see these ads like in the local, um, you know, like Rock City News, the local uh, magazines. Rock City News. Rock City News. It would be like black hair, blonde hair only, straight hair, like no Heshers, no like brown hairs. And it would be in ads. It was the, even then I thought it was so fucking funny and just so snobby. Like they just, like if you were glam and you're going to play the strip, you had to have jet black hair, you had to have platinum blonde hair, and it had to be straight. You couldn't have curly hair, you couldn't have brown hair, you couldn't have dishwater blonde hair. Like, no, it was like a no Hesher zone. I'm like, God, you what, what does Hesher up. mean? What does Hesher mean? A Hesher is like, would be like, thra yeah, like a thrash metal, like guy, like okay. the guy with the brown hair, with the curly hair, just like, like that. Those were like the Heshers. The lead they, singer of Anthrax. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, back that. in the day, yeah. The Curly hair, ripped jeans, not the glam look, didn't wear scarves, yeah. no makeup. Exactly. Yeah. Total, total, yeah, Metallica, Megadeth, those were Heshers, like straight up, like, and it was, you know, I don't, I didn't think it was a bad thing, like, I think that's fine, but just, it was a thing on the strip where, like, we just want it to be, like, glam. That's just funny trying to make it an ex exclusive club. You're like, this is a fucking street. This is a strip of oh. area. Like, that's funny to me. Especially now because metal is so, like, that kind of music is just so inclusive. And it's just like anybody, you can look like anything and fucking play. It doesn't matter, you know? Um, yeah, it was so dumb. Like, even then I thought it was so stupid. I'm like, just let people play. Who's going to play? You know, let whoever's going to play, play. But it was just so saturated with you know, glam and sleaze metal. Like, I never saw thrash bands ever play the strike. Maybe at the Troubadour, somebody, but like nobody Random, would yeah. Like it was just such a glam dominated area. So yeah, I just, I, I, you know, I don't think, I mean, I have friends that like, you know, are into thrash music, but yeah, I don't think I really had like heavy exposure to it the way that I am now. Like I just, you know, yeah. Play, you know, a little Motley Crue, and then all of a sudden they're going into like Cannibal Corpse or Skeleton Witch or some, you know, crazy band that I've never even heard of. I'm like, wow, I really like this. This sucks. Like, I missed out on all this. Like, you know, it's like listening to, you know, it's new old music for me. That yeah. Kind of you're you're so finding cool. it now, which is, it's like, I mean, think about for me is like when I first heard Led Zeppelin or Van Halen, I wasn't discovering those bands. Like, they'd already put out multiple albums, but when like my, discovery of them for myself was 
life-changing. You know what I mean? It was earth-shattering, if you will. Um, talking about Troubadour, and that's not on the strip, but like, what are what were your favorite venues? Because there was because Gazari's was not. It was the Key Club back then at that point. Um, it was the Key Club after Gazari's. Like, right. So, so, but it wasn't Gazari's when you were going there. It was Gazari's. Oh, yeah. oh it was. Oh yeah. Oh. There's actually, there's a picture, I'll have to send it to you, but there's a picture of me um, in the LA Times in the front row of, at Gazzari's, and I'm sh taking pictures of that band Taz, and you just see me in white, I don't know why I was wearing white, <laughs> but it's literally me in the front row with a camera, and it's like pointed up, and there's just this guy walking by, and it's, it's a picture from like the entertainment section of the LA Times, and I guess they were, you know, covering what was happening on the Sunset Strip or something, so it's this picture, you know, from behind the stage and you can just see me center stage. I'm just front row. Doo -doo, just picture, you know? And a friend of mine in high school had sent it to me um, a couple of years ago and she's like, look what I found. I'm like, oh my God, I forgot. Like, I remember when it came out and I had completely forgotten about it. And I was like, I'm so glad you sent me this picture because that, that picture is perfectly me, like described in just a photo. It's me front row at a show taking pictures, documenting everything. That's exactly who I was. That's exactly who I am still. Like it's the yeah. perfect, like if anybody said, what what were you like or how are you in terms of music or supporting, like just look at this picture. This, this is it right here. To <laughs> me at 15, 16, like, you know, back in the day. But yeah, I went to, yeah, I went to Gazzari's quite a bit. You know, what was, because Gazzari's has a little bit of a rep of like, I just I just finished a Van Halen book that was talks about how at the time when Van Halen like and this is before you were going there it was the eighties like early earlier eighties or late seventies but they were kind of like record guys wouldn't go see bands at Gazzari's it was like oh god this fucking shithole like they were just disgusted by it and to the credit even when it became the Key Club it was still filthy inside so um, <laughs> but what was there <clears throat> I mean did you was that did you guys talk like that? Were you like, another show at Gazzari's or were you just like, fucking, I just want music? It was, there was a weird thing about Gazzari's. Like, I don't know why people sort of, it was kind of like looked at as sort of like a dump and a Hesher club. Like it was kind of like, oh, you should be playing the Roxy and the Whiskey and the Troubadour. Like you're playing, Gaz like people would play Gazzari's, but first, I don't know why there was like that weird sort of like, kind of nose up at Gazzari's. Like, yes, it was a shithole, but you know, like- there was But what, a lot of is the whiskey a palace? I mean, if we're being honest, yeah. like these places that I've always wanted to go to, like my first time in the whiskey, I could barely, um, my feet would just stick to the floor. Like I could okay. barely walk. It was so gross in there. I was like, oh, okay. But again, I loved it. I had a great time. And I'm sure when I was younger, a plastic cups, beer, and metal, I could have just lived in there, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, I, I don't know why Gazzari's had that weird sort of. I think uh, it was the owner. I think the owner was was not as likable as, and and he kind of made it that way. That's my take on just the Van Halen from just the Van Halen book. But I could be wrong. Unless are you best friends with the owner? Is he like your uncle or something? <laughs> I, I I don't even remember meeting Bill Gazzari. If I did, I must have met him when I was really young. I remember seeing him. Like, I remember seeing him a lot and then uh, just around the club, but then also at the Rainbow, seeing Mario, who, you know, owns yes. the whiskey and the Rainbow. Like, just seeing those two, it was it was sort of like a, I don't know, like a weird sort of, not mafia godfather thing, but just to kind of see those two just 
you know, kind of walking around or hanging out. You're just like, oh, okay. You know, like, you know who they are, but like. They, they were, they were, they owned those buildings, but because of what they allowed to happen in those buildings, that's how they became who they were. Does that make sense? Like if yeah. Bill Gazzari just owned a club and was like, yeah, my name is on it. And he was never there and didn't care what happened to it and whatever. But he like was like, I like these bands. I want these, this music. And, and again, a lot of it is this will make me money. These bands bring people in. And if you're not bringing people in, get the fuck out because I need it's all about alcohol sales and, and making a dollar at the door. I mean, I, I just tried to paint these guys like they were saints who love music but they love money is what they did it was okay. it, and there were hot girls like you know Gazzari's yes yes Gazzari's contest so he's you know he's there with the miss Gazzari's girls like hanging out like he was all you know he was all definitely up in that so he yes it was about money but also like hey i own this place there's all these hot chicks and you know great crowd coming in like fuck yeah i'm gonna hang out and be you know i am the dawn of the club but, like of course exactly ass, you know like it's not a it's not too bad of a life to have, you know? No, no, no. I mean, look, and as you get older, why not? Fuck it. Who cares? Um, of those clubs, what was your favorite? What was your, like, where you were like, oh, great, there's a show here, and this is what, this is my fucking, my pride and joy right here. I always liked the Roxy, because the sound was always good. I liked the layout. The stage was low, you know? Like, because <laughs> back then, like, I mean, I was shooting with, like, a 35 millimeter, you know, film, it was yep. no digital back then. So, you know, like I'm holding shit and it's like I'm trying to change a roll of film, you know, standing up, trying to change a roll of film, pulling it out, trying to not let the light. Not expose it. it. Yeah. Like, it's just a shit show. So like, you know, having, you know, a stage that's, you know, kind of a little bit easy for me to like handle my shit, you know, like or I would just plan like I'm going to see another band tomorrow and I've got three photos left on this roll. So let me just take these last pictures or I'll take, you know, a picture of somebody in front of the Roxy or something just so that I don't have to fucking do this when there's, you know, this band is playing tomorrow, you know, like it was yeah. the whole thing, but the Roxy was probably my favorite. Like it just, it just, you, I just like the space. I like the layout. And like I said, just the sound was always really good in there. I just remember it. Yeah. Really good. And for anyone who doesn't know, the Roxy is located basically next door to the Rainbow. Um, you just kind of walk across the parking lot and you're right there. Um, whiskey was, I, I like the whiskey, I guess, but I, I, think, I think you're right. The bands I've seen at the Roxy have all sounded pretty good. There is something to be said about, because a lot of clubs don't care. Like a lot of clubs will be like, whatever, we have bands and it's just loud and you can't hear and it's just like, distorted shit whereas like at least with the rocks that you could make out what was happening and understand yeah. the music and i'm not that picky and i mean i obviously you know i'm not a musician like i don't know a ton yeah you don't have perfect pitch you're not like oh you would you fucking bend a note there what's wrong with you <laughs> no, yeah exactly. that's not but like general like i can you know get a general sound of like oh my god like this bass is way too loud or like i'm not like you know, <laughs> get a general sense you know of, of, of sounds somewhat yeah. decent, you know well, Marissa, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk to us. I do want to ask you really quick. I thought the second book um, oh, was Walking Contradiction. I thought that took place right after this ended because there's a, it does. Okay. Then I noticed that I was reading the info on it and it deals with your time in TV uh, as well. Now, Punked is listed in there. I, I'm, am I, I'm not in the second book, am I? I don't think so. I think I just okay. Just because I think like there, I'm sure I would have given you plenty. <laughs> like I was not smooth or smart or cool or anything like that. So 
I got under people's skin. I could see how I would be annoying. And I just was just a part of me was like, oh, I, I wonder if there's like, and then this fucking asshole who walks by my desk every day, fucking, you know, I was just curious. Not not to be, not because I was like, don't write about me, but just because I was like, I, there's a distinct possibility if you wrote about punk that I could be oh, in yeah, there somewhere. No, it's just kind of a brief mention. And, and yeah, the second book starts the morning after um, where the... Ends it. Yeah. So my first book ends my yeah. the night of my 20th birthday and then Walking Contradiction starts the morning after my 20th birthday. So it's basically like 40 years of my life in two books. Like Rock and Roll High School ends at 20. Walking Contradiction starts at, you know, 20 and then ends at 40. So it's sort of like. Oh, wow. You cover a lot then in Walking so, Contradiction. Yeah, it okay. brings you up to date. And, and it, it's, yeah, it covers a lot of the years in production. Like, I mean, that punk, like that was such a huge job for me. I was, I was an, I think I was an hour and a half late to that interview. I wanted to die. I was so upset. I, that was my first like job in television. And my friend, she was, um, she worked for the management company that managed Fransky. David Fransky was an executive okay. producer on Punk at the time. So she, yeah. I was out of work and looking for a gig. She's like, Hey, you know, my client, he needs an assistant, you know, he works on punk. It's, you know, it's only going to be maybe two, three months worth of work, you know, but maybe you can get in there and maybe, you know, just get something rolling or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, she's like, okay, I'll set up the interview. So she sets up the interview for the same day that I have another job interview. But most job interviews, like I go in maybe 20 minutes, boom, I'm out, fine. So I go to this interview at Forest Lawn and then MTV's in Santa Monica. So good for Yeah. Go to the Forest Lawn interview. I'm like, okay, I've got, I schedule plenty of time to get to Santa Monica. First job keeps me, they keep, they, they interview me, they hire me, and then they have me meet with two other people. So I'm there for over an hour and I'm fucking having a heart attack. Cause I, I did, you know, I went on the job interview, but I was really wanting the punk gig. So I'm like, they are making me late for the punk interview and I'm going to fucking cry. So as soon as like they go out, they're like, oh, you know, we'll be right back. We're going to get some paperwork or some shit. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Pull out the phone, call my friend. Can you call Fransky? Just beg, please. You know I'm not a flake, but just uh, can I still come for the interview? Or whatever. She's like, you know, I know he's working late, you know, tonight. So just, you know, I'll call him and or I'll text him and you know, just get there as soon as you can. Show up an hour and a half late. I'm sweating. I'm like, remember, I remember walking through the parking lot and I'm like so pissed off. I'm like, I'm so mad that even though they gave me this job, I'm so fucking mad that they made me late for the job. They took they took this oh, other chance yeah, from so me. Yeah. I, as I'm walking through the parking lot, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna get this fucking job. I don't care what I got. I don't care. I'm working on punk. I'm gonna fucking get this. like. I walked in there determined. As soon as I walk in, Fransky's in his office and like, there's nobody else in the office. Everybody's gone. Yeah, we're all just Fransky gone. in yeah. his office, and then I just kind of you know, peek my head and I knock. I'm like, Hey, are you David Fransky? And he's like, you're over an hour fucking late. I knew it. I knew it. He fucked he's with you. I knew it. And I just sit down. I was like, I'm like, I know I'm totally, I'm like, and I didn't want to say that I was on another <laughs> job interview. So I just said, I'm like, there was a crazy accident. There's no excuse. I, am not <laughs> I saved a baby from a burning building. Oh my God. It was, was awful. Like, all the shit and i'm like but i promise you i'm like i am a reliable person i will make your shit look good i'll answer your phones i'll get your coffee i will be the best assistant you ever had i'll stay late i'll do you know I, i'm a fucking hard worker like i sold he'd already hired you before you'd gotten there in his head 
He was already like, I'm going to fuck with her. And if she doesn't cry, I'm going to hire her. That's kind of what happened. Because like after like maybe two or three minutes, we kind of just started talking. And like I kind of got a sense of his personality. And he's like, okay, like I need somebody who kind of has a thick skin and isn't like a little, you know, isn't sort of like a wallflower and, you know, whatever. And he's like, okay, so I get she's kind of a broad. She's kind of, kind of a big mouth, you know, like I think she's going to fit in her well. She's a mouthy broad. <laughs> So yeah, and then he hired me. He's like, okay, you start on Monday, and I'm like, holy shit! I go home, and I'm like, fuck, I have two jobs, and so I, of course, I accepted the job. But then I accepted the first job, and I'm at home, and I'm like, okay, so first job, more money, uh, health insurance, retirement, job stability. Second job, uh, less money, no job stability. This rinky-dink thing that might not last two exactly. more weeks. A job for five seconds that's paid less than this job. Let's see. For more work and more stress, exactly. probably, with I'm the like, punk job. Let's see. What's the smart decision here? I'm going to go work on punk. Yeah, you don't You don't need to make smart decisions oh, yeah, at that yeah. age. I was like, you know what? This, this job that I got, those jobs will always <laughs> exist. But this is a foot in the door, and I really think I can make the best opportunity of this. And I'm glad I did, because now, like, I mean, I'm a production controller for a marketing agency. I can work from home now. That never, yeah, oh, that man. never would have happened, you know, if I hadn't taken that punk leap. And, and you know, because that went from executive assistant. And then Fransky had me, you know, coordinate a pilot that he did. You know, he's like, well, do you, what do you want to do? Do you want to be an assistant all your life? Do you want to coordinate? What do you, where do you want to go? I'm like, yeah, I want to go up the ladder. So he's like, all right, I got a pilot coming up. I need a coordinator. Don't fuck it up. I've got a good PM that will train you. <laughs> Fucking fuck Fransky. Up, you know, and do a good job. I'm like, okay, I won't fuck it up. I promise. So that was, you know, I got my feet wet coordinating the pilot and then from there america's next top model like i know a producer there and just boom 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 boom, just you know snowball but that was just one of those sort of like you know points in life where which way are you gonna go are you gonna like maybe you might jump off the cliff a little bit and it's gonna be a little scary for a second but it it, it will pay off in the long run or play it safe and just sit at this job the kind of job you've had for the last few years that are and wonder what would have been. I would have been, I would have probably been out of work or I would be sitting, you know, had to sit in an office with a bunch of people with a mask or something, you know, like it was, yeah, there was, there was, there was no yeah. choice. And I think, I think that's like a, a good, like you, you kind of went with your, your heart. You know what I mean? You went with your, your kind of like that. I, this is, yes, these things will always be here. They'll always, there's always going to be corporate fucking work, you know, but I don't always, I'm not always going to have a chance to pop my foot in a door like this, you know? So I think, I just think that was, I mean, obviously it, it worked for you, but I also think had, had you had to go back to a corporate job, at least you would have taken that chance and you wouldn't be sitting at a desk going, if I would have just fucking put up with Fransky's bullshit, you know what I mean? Like whatever, whatever it is. Um, and the last question I want to ask you, do you, I know you don't live in Hollywood proper anymore, but do you still go to the strip? Are there still bands? Do you still go out and see bands in that area? Or are you more like the bands I like now are playing the forum and the Staples center? And I'll do both. I mean, I haven't done much, you know, in the last year or so. Um, but sure, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll still do both. Like if friends have a show, I definitely will go and support that. If it's, I, I mean, the last concert I went to was Guns N' Roses at the Palladium. That was, 
Oh, you that went was to that like show. the end of 2019, I think. It was like September. Yeah, it was like yeah, September or October yeah, of 2019. That was like, yeah. How that was, was that? Cr- that was such a last minute thing. My a friend of mine had called me a few days earlier and she said, I might get on the list for this. So just know if it happens, it's gonna happen fast and we're gonna have to fucking go. So three hours but like before showtime, she texts me, she's like, I got on the list. Do you wanna, you know, do you wanna meet me in, you know, at the palladium? I'm like, it's guns at the yes. palladium for free. Yes. You know, normally, you know, be, even just being, you know, out here and outside of Hollywood, sometimes I get a little lazy, you know, and maybe don't want to drive to Hollywood, but that I'm that's age. Exactly. That's your age. That's age too. Just so you know, it's like we we get comfortable. We're like, ah, I don't want to get off my ass. I'm I'm watching something. It's like we get I'll complacent, tell- and I try I, to avoid you know, that. But if yeah, it, was it, it maybe, You know, if it was something maybe that I wasn't you know so excited about, but like we both, and she, it was funny because she had just gotten off a plane. She was totally jet lagged. She was exhausted, and she's like, I've got. She's like, I. She's like, I'm on the list for Guns and Roses the Palladium. She's like, I'm so tired. I'm like, if we don't go to this. We're going to be so mad at our... So mad. So mad. We need to rally and we got to go to the fucking Palladium. So let's do this. And she's like, I know you're right. You're right. Okay, I'm I'm getting the shower. I'm like, okay. So two tired old asses. We're like, we're going to rally. We got to go. And of course, as soon as we get there, it's awesome. Like we're on the floor. Like I've got a bunch of video. Like they're right there. Like it was such a great show. Like it was really cool to, to have a last show before all of this started to have it be Guns N' Roses and see them like at the Palladium, which is small for anyone who doesn't understand. Like I saw Guns N' Roses at Dodger oh Stadium. Okay, it was it was huge. Dodger Stadium holds sixty thousand people or whatever. But like the Palladium is a smaller venue. Like I've seen Anthrax and Megadeth at the Palladium, and that was a crazy small show. Like um, I've seen Lamb of God at the Palladium. I've seen. Mm, I want to say Motorhead, but that's not right. I think the only time I saw Motorhead was all at House of Blues. But anyway, Palladium is a great, a great venue, and that's a fantastic fucking last show before quarantine. You are yeah. correct. Um, and to see somebody I don't have anything too, else. To I see think them at such a small venue is fucking crazy. That's why I'm like, there's no way. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah, and that would be my my advice to anyone listening is. Like Marissa's friend, your friend, she was like, I'm tired. I don't know if I want. And you're like, you got to do this. Go to those things you don't think you are, you're too tired for. Go. Just please go. Like I was sitting on my couch. I had tickets to the very last Slayer show. A friend of mine, Matt Kirshen, calls me up the night before for the second to last Slayer show and says, do you want to go? I'm like, I already have tickets for tomorrow. They're doing the same show. Da, da, da. Well, I ended up going, and it was the probably the best Slayer show. I've seen him a handful of times. Best Slayer show I've ever seen, um, and, and a completely, not completely, but a changed-up set from what they'd been doing the whole tour. One of my favorite memories of the band ever. So if you're thinking, like, I'm too tired, I'm, go. Just go. Get off your ass and go. You will never oh, regret yeah, going. I, when I was still living in Hollywood, I was living by the whiskey and just got out of the shower, get a text from my friend, Dave Stewart's playing at the Viper Room. He's really, and I'm a big Beatles fan. Dave Stewart's playing at the Viper Room. He's best friends with Ringo. Ringo lives in LA. You should go and see if Ringo's there. And I'm like, fucking head full of wet hair. Saw that. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I can walk Viper Room in probably three minutes. So if I don't get off my fat ass and take advantage of this opportunity. So. Put my hair up in a bun, a little bandana, a little red lipstick, some jeans. Let's go. T-shirt. 
walk in there by myself and I see Ringo Starr sitting in a booth with like Bob Geldof and um oh god who else sitting with what it was fucking wild I lost I was like and it was it was crazy because I mean there was it was a packed house but it wasn't super super crowded where you couldn't move so I like see you know I I can see Ringo at he was at the table like if you're if you're on stage, it's the first table to your right, like where the bathrooms are. Like, so he's in that booth with Bob Geldof and I wish I could remember who else it was. So I see Ringo and I'm like, oh my God. So I fucking walk over there and literally like, I mean, his his booth is right here and I'm standing right here like a fucking nut job. I'm just, I'm not even looking at him. I'm just listening. You're just I'm soaking in the vibes. Vibe and I'm listening to like what him and Bob and like everybody at the table are taught. Like I'm watching Dave but I'm listening to them and they're like cracking jokes about shit. They're telling stories. I'm like, this is so fucking cool right now. He has no idea I'm fucking dying right now. So as soon as Dave Stewart finishes, literally like the club, the, you know, the curtains close and I turn cause I'm about, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to say to Ringo Starr, but I gotta say something cause I'm going to fucking cry. As soon as I turn this bodyguard, the size of a wall, stands right in front of me and, and i'm like oh okay like he didn't push me or anything he just like got in front of me because he probably gets you will not be talking to mr star this evening yeah, that's exactly what happened gets and stands right in front of me and so i kind of step back a little bit they he gets you know just the people on the table they get ushered out so ringo's in front of the bouncer the bouncer you know i'm behind the bouncer like i'm literally just like trying to like see if there's a way i can meet him you're one oh, degree yeah. away. So I'm following them. We go downstairs and then I just see like, I can see security people like out front too. And I'm like, I'm not going to get to him. But what's funny is as soon as I walked out, you know, the steps to go to like, you know, the lower lounge or whatever, I walk down and I see my friend Matt and my friend Matt is probably the biggest Beatles fan, like next to me. Like he's a chick when it comes to the Beatles. So we hadn't planned on meeting there that night. Like it was totally random. He was there. So, so Ringo's walking down the stairs, walking <clears> by <throat> my friend Matt, and then as they're going, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to let it go because I'm not going to get to him. But as soon as he passes Matt, I look at Matt, and he's just like, he's looking at me like with a white face, and I'm like, I know, I know. I'm like, Ringo, oh my God. And he's like, we have to go to the Rainbow and have a drink. Oh, I'm going to have, like, he's totally, like, chicken out. It was so funny. Like, we were, like, two 13-year-old girls, like, freak, oh, my God. Oh, my God, it's not Ringo. Oh, my God, it's Ringo. So we walked down to the rainbow. We're having drinks, like, just talking about that 10-second moment for the whole night. Oh, my God, it's not Ringo. Yeah. Oh, my God, we're Ringo. And, but that was, like, such a fun night that, again, get off your ass. You never know what's going to happen. I didn't get a chance to meet Ringo, but just that whole experience. But you don't even get that close if you don't oh, leave yeah. your apartment. That was crazy. But that was like one of those, like, you got to rally. You got to rally and you never know what's going to happen. That's correct. That is correct. Well, that's a great place to stop. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to us. The book, Rock and Roll High School, you can get it online. There are hard copies left until June about. And then also I will be getting the follow-up, Walking Contradiction. I'll be checking that out. And uh, I suggest everyone does that as well. Anything else you want to plug or let us know what's going on? You got any other books coming out? You no got... books coming out, but I am. We're actually the girl that I went with Guns N' Roses to. She's an artist, so we're working on a comic book right now. It's untitled. Um, I will say it takes place in Laurel Canyon, and there will be a lot of Hollywood music 
rock and roll. It will definitely, uh, you know, encompass a lot of that. I do. And yeah. I've always, I've always had a thing about Laurel Canyon. I mean, even there's just a lot of weird shit that went down in Laurel Canyon. That's beyond the stuff that I'm writing. It's just a lot of mystery to it. So I wanted to kind of take that as the focus of this comic book and sort of create this kind of world around it. So that's the concept. Oh, that's so hopefully, cool. hopefully at the end of this year, you know, we'll have the first issue out, but we'll see. But that's like my next sort of productive kind of thing. Cause I always want to be working on something like I can't just kind of come home and watch TV and scratch my ass. Like I want to be working on something yeah. like, even if it's something that won't see the light of day, like, you know, I just, but that's exactly what I did with my books. Like, I'm just going to do this. And if it rolls to a point where I can get it published, that's cool. And so that happened with two books. So that will probably happen with this comic book, you know, just do it for fun, see yeah. how it goes. And then, oh, wow, I have a finished product. Cool. I have something to, you know, put out there. And even working on stuff like that, like when you talk about, because a lot of entertainment, when you write, it doesn't see the light of day. A lot of stuff. You can write movies. You, I got a stack of garbage scripts that there's never going to see the light of day. But like the purpose of writing those isn't necessarily to sell that thing. It's like eventually, you know, maybe that will lead you to another idea. Maybe that will lead you to becoming a better writer. Maybe, you know, every time you write something, you you learn from mistakes of the past and all that kind of thing. So I, I think doing projects, you're not sure. Like if you like something, work at it. You never know where it's going to go. And the book is a perfect example. You didn't know, but I'm entertained by it at this point. So look at that. It's a success as far as thank I'm concerned. You. Yeah. Um, thank you. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. We'll put up links to like um, where they can get the book and everything um, when we post the show. And um, Marissa, tell us. Thank you so much. Yeah, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having it. me. It was good to see you after so long. Oh my God. Great to see you. Like, I'm happy. Like music festivals, like sunset music festival or something. That's what I was going to say. I you always see you and Evan. I, I miss like that. Just being out and like, Oh, Hey, look, yeah. someone I know it's like, it's bumping into somebody. It's insane. Yeah. We'll, we'll be back there soon. We'll be back there soon. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I'll see you it. soon. Thank you for having me. Bye. All right. And that is Marissa Tellez, everybody. Rock and Roll High School, full title, Rock and Roll High School Growing Up in Hollywood During the Decade of Decadence. Um, again, really enjoyed my talk with Marissa, and the book is fantastic. Uh, we'll put up links where you can get it, and we'll put up links to her new book as well, uh, or newer book, I should say, Walking Contradiction, Crackpot Chronicles. Uh, thank you so much for listening and watching, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>